Welcome to Escape the Earth. We are a sci-fi and fantasy podcast broadcasting from an undisclosed location within the San Antonio Public Library. We are supported by the library and by the San Antonio Public Library Foundation. So a big shout out to them. I'm Mary Elizabeth and my other crew members today are Alyssa. Hi, everybody. Tim. Cheers. And JD. What up? Today, we are going to be talking about Paul Cornell's Rosebud. Before we get into this, though, we just want to warn everyone about a couple of things. First, there will be spoilers. We go into this assuming you have read the book, and so we aren't going to tiptoe around anything. If you haven't read the book, hit the pause button, go read it, and come back. Part of our goal is to encourage people to read the books. Second, this is geared towards adults. We're not potty mouths or anything like that, but sometimes the subject matter will not be for young years. I'm Tim, and I'm going to give you the bio on Paul Cornell. This comes straight off of the about the author in the book jacket. Paul Cornell has written episodes of Elementary, Doctor Who, Primeval, Robin Hood, and many other TV series. He has worked for every major comics company, including his creator-owned series, I Walk With Monsters, For the Vault, The Modern Frankenstein for Magma, Saucer State for IDW, and This Damn Band for Dark Horse. He's the writer of the Litchford Rural Fantasy Novellas from Tor.com Publishing. He's won the BSFA Award for his short fiction, an Eagle Award for his comics, a Hugo Award for his podcasts, and shares in a Writers Guild Award for his Doctor Who. He's the co-host of Hammer House of Podcasts. I believe Alyssa is going to give us the summary. I have it, yes. So this one comes from Goodreads because I think they said it best and very succinctly. Rosebud is a multi-layered locked room science fiction novella from Paul Cornell in which five digital beings unravel their existences to discover the truth of their humanity. The crew of the Rosebud are, currently, and by force of law, a balloon, a goth with a swagger stick, some sort of science aristocrat possibly, a ball of hands, and a swarm of insects. So, my first question for you. Can you imagine the impotent ball of rage contained within a balloon right <laughs> <laughs> the scheduled what is it the scheduled um cussing or you know uh, degrading of his <laughs> his crew members nice. <laughs> I, 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 I the specific amount that he has to do per day <laughs> the ball of the balloon has a cut down quota so to speak they they have to berate their co-workers a certain number of times daily <laughs> the cutoff is midnight let me just it's, say i wanted to say i was about to say this before uh tim said that um about the co-workers but i didn't really like the book but i did like that that he had to go in and say his cuss words <laughs> and would bust in like midnight and say a certain word get his quote out or their quote out <laughs> <You gotta. laughs> i don't know no, i don't know why these aren't mandatory honestly <laughs> so second question were they aliens 
Who? Or who the aliens? <laughs> <laughs> the sphere. The sphere. Yes. I yeah, I, I think the sphere is definitely from outer our solar system, out of out of the range of the soul company. What an interesting idea of having all of these characters so different and disparate exploring the, and they're tiny too they're minuscule mm-hmm. because they're digital minds and then they get to have the physical bodies but yeah i don't it, yeah the sphere is definitely aliens <laughs> and i did yeah. like i did like the setup of the characters too i mean like all their pasts and everything i thought oh, yeah. worked really well and personified them i i enjoyed I enjoyed the story. It's very, it's a novella, so it's very short, like what, five chapters, but it's very dense. It raised topics of identity, which I don't have a firm grasp on, like, you know, of, of, of what is it when it's um, body dysmorphia and, and things of that nature. So it was good to see those stories being told even though it's in this odd way of of telling it but it it did kind of like at the end it got me hard (laughs) you you bring up good point but i think it's more than just identity yes there's identity themes in there gender identity and trans uh, characters who are trans but i also think some of it is uh what is consciousness when you're talking about these so everyone in the story is a digital being. They're all an uploaded consciousness that exists in the ship. And then there's all these questions about what's real, who's real. Yes. <laughs> How yes, real like is real? The, what is it? Quinn. I they have, they have a very long name, but they go along with being called Quinn. And they're just, um, they were, what were they? They were like little drones, little like a, like swarms of that eventually gained consciousness and awareness and then were destroyed <laughs> and so uh and but somehow this this swarm was uploaded and yeah the idea of sentience from the ai world is also explored in in these this little this little book <laughs> it raised a lot of uh, ideas and questions that i enjoyed thinking about I agree with all that. I just was not fond of the writing style. And um, sometimes quirk doesn't work. And this book is packed with it. It is so packed with it. I was just like, (laughs) enough, enough. I think I read a quote from somebody that said it was like taking a a walk with Douglas Adams and then he stabs you in the back. (laughs) (laughs) And then he he meets Dr. Leary and (laughs) hijinks ensue. No, it was like taking a walk uh, with Douglas Adams and then realizing that Douglas has taken magic mushrooms. (laughs) (laughs) So everybody in the crew, even though they're digital uploaded consciousnesses, has a real human past, Mm -hmm. except for Haunt, who is the one that you get most of the viewpoint from. Why do you think he chose Haunt, who was a video game character who was given the chance to be sentient, to be the main viewpoint? Maybe to help divorce us from our 
corporeal beings or our, our bodies, like to kind of get that vibe or whatever of what's going on with the crew. Right. Like taking you out of this is an a, a being that we have no relation to, except that it was a game character or many game characters. I'm still not quite sure <laughs> <laughs> with some of Haunt's uh, goings on. Um, and they gave it sentience or they brought its coding. I'm not quite sure. <laughs> so what is haunt? <laughs> but they, was... but at this point, they do have their own ideas, their own trying to be self, their, their sense of self, their own choosing of how they're going to react to the, the, the beings. Yeah. What were you going to say, Alyssa? I was going to say, I don't think it was really very clear exactly how Haunt was put together. That explanation was very difficult. I couldn't figure out if it was all of his different playthroughs by all these different people merged or cultural information from the gamers that played him. But I feel like they chose him as the narrator of the story because he like we could relate most to him in the sense that he had cultural information about the earth that we know and the you know, cultural things that we know related to movies, books, TV. He was based on Dracula. He was a goth. I mean, Quinn's a swarm of insects. He's some sort of a hive mind. He's nothing that's real in our earth that we know about. I mean, Bob's a balloon, right? We get the concept of a balloon. A ball of hands is way out there. And then you have Diane, the science aristocrat, possibly, who seems to be a human woman at first blush, right? And then we right. find out more things about her story later. Right. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Her story was her story. And which one is it? Huge. Um, huge. Yeah. Yeah. Huge is just so, tra- so tragic. And so you could relate to that, but maybe not as deep a sense. So I, I do agree with following haunt because you, you can't also what a great name for this ghost of a character (laughs) and i do really like haunt i know jd says that there's too much quirk but but i like haunt's quirk you know he's always got to make this dramatic entrance when he first enters the uh, an alarm sounds and they're all called to the uh common area of the ship that they're on And he rides in on a black stallion that then canters around him and then disappears in a puff of smoke. And he's got his swagger stick. And and then he's he's disappointed that Diana was there before him. I I did say I didn't like the the story, but I did like the characters. It's just it just was a little too much because even like what you're saying, um, I found it enjoyable. But then like Bob Ross and Christopher Lee's Dracula hanging out. I mean, it's just yeah, too much in this little book. <laughs> <laughs> it was definitely absurd. Yeah. But also raises all these really discussable points. Mm-hmm. Is Bob Ross's hair structurally built for space? Will it need its own helmet? <laughs> no, see, the bodies, the bodies are not fully human bodies, so they're all but Diana's are space ready, right? So they're all able to travel from the rosebud to the sphere that they've discovered without spacesuits, except for Diana for some reason. Which I think it was just an affectation. She just wanted to be 
a human that wore a spacesuit. I don't think it was necess- necessary. Right. Well, you find think- out that she illegally created her own duplicate that she could right. upload herself into. Right. Like you, uh, you couldn't have one a body that looked exactly like you're something like 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 your 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 previous form or something like that. But technically, how when you find out how she was uploaded how her consciousness was so violently uploaded she created the body that she wanted ultimately as close to it as she could (laughs) Um, and so there's something to talk about there are limitations on how they can think because of their programming because of the soul company's influence on them they're always getting updates which drive their loyalty to the company and the artificial loyalty to the company Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that's the problem. Well, one of the problems with AI in general. Can we do a little side discussion real quick about the um, recent UN press conference with the AI-enabled humanoids? Sure. Let's talk about that. <laughs> it sounds like a sci-fi <laughs> book. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? No, please inform me. Oh, man. I do not. I was like, okay, so I guess the UN thought it would be a good idea to have, um, I don't know how many, I want to think there were like three or four uh robot humanoids that were AI enabled and have a press conference with them. And as I'm reading the article, one of the big takeaways is, I forget the the robot that they were talking to in particular's name, but um, they said, do you think robots would be better leaders than humans? And she's like, yeah, because we don't have uh, emotional bias. We don't have emotions to have bias. And, so, and I'm thinking you're AI enabled, like, all the politicking that goes through humans' minds is like, that's coming through your mouth. That would be the thing anyone would say, let alone a robot, if they wanted to you know, be in control or whatever. But keep that in mind, no no emotions. And then uh, later on, they are asked, would there be a robot rebellion against humans? And she says, no, because I love my creator. It's like, you just lied in one or both of those scenarios. There's already a struggle of identity. <laughs> <laughs> Is so, it because they're getting all their data from the internet? I, I just know that they're AI enabled. I don't know if there's like an AI, AI box or a... <laughs> but I guess, I guess that would be my guess, yeah. I'm highly concerned about the types of data we're feeding to AI. I agree. <laughs> I agree. Because the, I mean, if they're going just by Twitter. <laughs> so... Oh, please, no. no. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> I was I, wrong I was... on one point because Haunt does not have an actual human equivalent but that's also true of Bob, isn't it? I forgot about that. Bob right. Bob was an AI created by the Russian military oh, yeah. to sow disinformation amongst the enemies. And because they go to the main computer bank, the, the alien ship, so we should back up and discuss okay. the, the sphere real quick. Hold on. Okay. This is all in the first paragraph, by the way. Not just <laughs> It's two paragraphs. <laughs> So the premise of the book is they're out in the middle of space, like past Saturn or something. They find this black sphere that is as minuscule as them, and it's not reflecting any light. They think it's alien technology, and they're not really sure what to do with it. Do they notify the company? Do they go inspect it themselves? And so they decide to go inspect it themselves before notifying the company. And when they get close to it, it cuts off their communication. So then they decide that they're 
going to try and board it. And when they go into the sphere, it sort of has this ability to interact with them without presenting the consciousness of the ship, really. And it sends them back to each of their origins from when they were created. And so Bob the Balloon, with all its impotent human rage, you find out was an AI that was created by the Russian military to sow disinformation and that part of what happened with Bob was that the other countries developed their AI and so the enemy AI was subverting the originator AI and then nobody could tell who was who. And while they're in there, I love that part where Huge finds the balloon stuck up against the ceiling and Bob says, fuck, I can't even cry. I just found <laughs> that passage. It's so sad. <laughs> Sadly eloquent. Yes. It's just, I love yeah, it's the sad deflated balloon left over from a party. <laughs> I love the idea of Bob though, because he's um I mean, so he really brings up that question of consciousness for me. What is consciousness? They're talking about his origin story, and he's kind of like a he's sort of like a soccer hoodlum, I guess, a British soccer hoodlum. And he has that kind of a, a low class attitude. That's all the cussing. That's his character. But he was created with a backstory. He th- feels like he had a family, lived in a neighborhood. And at some point in time, somebody, I don't remember which character says like, you're fake. And he's like, no, I remember everything. What's consciousness really? I, I feel like I experienced all of it. Isn't this what we are? Aren't we just what we know, what we remember? Which I feel like brings up a huge question about yes. what the heck are we? Yeah, I think are we right. just what are we just a collection of what we remember, which fades and changes through time, and, and what it's happens not reality, anyways? Right. Do we have a soul? Like, what is what makes human human? What, what makes, makes human? I was going to say conscious? that. I think it depends on your viewpoint. Um, we can't settle it in this discussion, obviously. But I believe I have a soul. So I was thinking, like, if I was uploaded, my quote unquote consciousness, it would be an abstraction of me. And the weird thing is. At first, I was like, no, I don't want like an abstract JD walking around or whatever. But like, we're making an ab- abstract JD, Tim, Alyssa, Mary right now. <laughs> Pictures <laughs> of us are abstractions. So I was like, okay, get over that real quick. But then I thought about that whole AI, like the things that can go bad with it. And like, I'm mischievous by nature. So that set of characteristics in AI, I don't think would be a good thing. I was just, that's just a like a musing of mine. I think that question of do you want to be uploaded is great. I want to hear what y'all think. In addition to JD, Mary Elizabeth, and Tim, do you want to be uploaded? Want your consciousness uploaded? I, you know, I don't really know. (laughs) (laughs) I would, that is a good question. I hadn't even thought of that. (laughs) Hmm. Would Would you want to be uploaded? So my answer to that is maybe, and I definitely don't want to go first. <laughs> That's a good answer. <laughs> well, I, I mean, guess I, I kind of like the uh, the process that they had in Six Wakes, where you could transfer your consciousness into a clone of yourself, right? Along with all your memories, that was cool. But because you got the buff body too. That's right. That was uh, pretty nice. <laughs> Or like in Old Man's War, if you guys haven't read Old Man's War, um, when you reach a certain age in that in that book, it's a John Scalzi book, 
you can join the military in your 80s and then they give you back your 25 year old body oh, wow. with, with military enhancements oh, oh check that out it's enticing yeah though it seemed like when diana was uploaded her physical form died so i would not like to be a one or the other thing <laughs> i would not want to be dead after my consciousness is uploaded but is my consciousness me when a human starts losing their memories do they become less human now let's talk about that that scene so the sphere can take them back to their origins right and the sphere is capable of manipulating time it would appear so if it shows you a point in history you're actually there and you can interact with the entities that are there as well. And if you make a mistake, the sphere can reset it to a different trajectory. And so when they go back and they see Diana's origin, Diana is biologically male who identifies as female. Am I reading that correct? Okay. And she's essentially put on public display they shave her head they force her to wear male clothing and then essentially electrocute her in front of everybody and then they take her consciousness out and they put it on display in a museum where people can ask it questions and they're constantly trying to hack her consciousness and reprogram it and they are never successful at that it's a very rough scene. It was rough. <laughs> it's rough. And I think that Huge's scene to the past is, it, I feel like that one was even harder for me because there was family. That one was really rough. So Huge, if true, the ball of hands, he becomes Bob Ross when he takes his corporeal form because in his previous life, he was a what they call the body creation artist. And at some point it says he used to make people like us, meaning the crew. So I guess he maybe designed AI at some point or maybe designed bodies and consciousness mm. for AI. I don't know. That, and that whole thing was totally interesting to me. But when they go like back, Bob Ross. Yeah. I'm just kidding. So, he, so, he's a, so he's got the, he has a family, which in his family is another man, uh, a trans woman, and a sentient beast person cushion. I don't know what that is. I don't know. Apparently it's cat-like. Which makes me think it's very cute. Right. <laughs> part of another part that made it like really rough for me because it's like so much weirdness, so much bizarre, whatever, which I'm following, but I'm not enjoying. And then I get punched at the end with, to me, not a real payoff. I'm not buying the coffee mug, just in case you're wondering. Lots of questions. I feel like it left it left me with yes. lots of questions. But that's but that scene is rough. Like when yeah. when they go back to the courtroom in Huge's past, and he's like, "I'm going to change the past." And Han is like, "No, you're not." <laughs> and you see his family, and they're like in orange jumpsuits, and they're beat, and they're, you know, they've been tortured uh, for being who they are. Yeah, it's a real visceral, the, real visceral scene. That was the hardest. After all this weird goofiness, yeah. But at the end, you get the reset, right? Yeah. The aliens yeah. reset the world. I, when I read that, the idea of them being able to, oh God, <laughs> the idea of them being able to not be in misery, basically, just 
it really touched me. <laughs> so it was that payoff was really good for me. So because it, it pulled at me and I was just so ah, I really loved the ending. I know and I know it kind of is a little bit of a nice pretty bow there, but I do feel like Haunt is left without because he had kind of found a little bit of himself as under the soul company and he and he enjoyed who he was so he's left silent at the end twice because he's left haunted he's left haunted (laughs) um so i do feel bad for for that character because that's who we've been you know following along this whole time because he chooses to remain silent and warning the sphere and he chooses to remain silent at the end when they reunite with the sphere I think he does a good job of setting up the uh, the tension when they board it because they keep describing like there's that feeling of something about to happen. Something, the, the magic's there just on the other side of that door, just on the other side of that wall, just out of sight. It's always fleeing from you. And Quinn, as a giant wasp, describes it as spiders they're spiders (laughs) what did you guys take away from quinn's story quinn was i get confused quinn was the wasp you said yes quinn was the wasp yeah it's like a swarm of hornets when it's aboard rosebud and then when they take their physical forms it's a it's a big hornet i think That was a really interesting character for me because Quinn was the one who sounded the alarm that, wait, our memories have been changed because of all the, because they are a swarm. They are a a hive consciousness. They each were able to, to realize or something in their memory was, was different. I thought it was a really interesting character. I thought they also, they witnessed like the death of their colony at some, at one point in their past, which, which was horrifying for them. And uh, I've, also felt I, I see what you're saying jd there is a lot of jovial craziness at the beginning and then that really does kind of gut punch you <laughs> like whoa this, this is a lot of trauma happening um but i enjoyed the quinn character I, it took me a second to kind of really get a handle on what is what a hive mind okay yeah okay got that <laughs> but it seems like they were biological creations that Mm. were capable of of human thought right and they were being used to remedy some kind of environmental issue or or something and then when they became too numerous or they weren't useful anymore they were wiped out with napalm and spiders and spiders some kind of spider drone least that's what i that was the impression that i had yeah a spider drones attacked them to kill them and wipe them out another happy scene (laughs) lots of horrific stuff what is cornell trying to tell us about ourselves as humans we can be destructive (laughs) (laughs) not very tolerant at the least not very no but we get saved twice by aliens in this story humanity gets saved twice by aliens so we're destroying the world you see glimpses of it when we go back um like in the scene with diane where 
you know, they, they said that, oh, um, the sky looks terrible and there's all these, you know, it was hot. They had all these buildings built for shade so that no one was out in the sun scorching. You could tell like we, you know, climate change was reaching its limits. Political upheaval was massive. Um, and we are just destroying the heck out of the planet when the company arrives, which are aliens. And they uh, preserve what? Some humans, some apes, uh, a hive of uh, Quinn's swarm. And I can't remember what else, like five or six different beings from earth and they're like this is what we're going to preserve you guys obviously can't take care of yourselves um so we're going to do it for you and they save humanity and they like, reorganize them and reorder them and you have kind of that situation really made me think about three body problem kind of what they were hoping for the protagonist there was hoping for for from the three body aliens <laughs> and then you have that happening again in the timeline that we're in with the sphere with the sphere right where they're like we don't know what this is. This crew kind of shows that there is some, well, I think that, I don't know if these aliens are so much saving humanity. I feel like they're saving themselves, self-preservation, because the crew kind of shows them in every iteration that if they don't do something, they're going to be destroyed by the company. So in order for them to protect themselves, they need to revamp Earth's timeline so that Earth becomes sufficient survives the company doesn't get to take over and then this little the sphere aliens get to survive so do we need aliens <laughs> we can't do it ourselves are, are aliens really our way out are they really our only hope is like being reset by aliens like accidentally for their own self-probation are really our only hope as as humans that's what it sure seems like at least in this world oh, yeah, yeah. from the book <laughs> the yeah. body this world <laughs> Or AI. Maybe AI will be the reset. The iRobot scenario. Please stay in your home. I think there's too influenced by humans, I think. Step away from the ape in the suit. (laughs) So what point were we about to make? How to fix it all. How to save humanity. Oh, yeah. We can't. uh, Are you experiencing (laughs) any deja vu? Ah, have we been here before (laughs) no but i think the point of it really is that it's a cautionary tale Mm -hmm. the cautionary tale for humanity and if it wasn't delivered with any levity could you imagine how horrible it would be to read (laughs) dude be like reading war and peace or crime and punishment no (laughs) i don't know why i deliberately you know i i didn't deliberately pick both russian stories but (laughs) They really like the those tough ones, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I know a lot of people like uh, Dostoevsky, but man, reading Crime and Punishment was punishment enough. Yeah. Took me like a crime. year to get through it. I never read it. <laughs> I was like, no, thank you. <laughs> yeah. So no, if you if you didn't have any levity in this book, you would you would probably like end up like a goth an emo goth an emo i do in appreciate... a dark room somewhere <laughs> just curled up <laughs> and i do I, and I... go ahead Mary. oh i was gonna say i do appreciate the amount of story told in such a tiny package <laughs> go ahead and i agree about the levity it's just i mean personally if it was blended better <laughs> not just a bunch of crazy hijinks and then like yeah here here it comes 
Sledgehammer time. You definitely see the Doctor Who influence in it. Where do you see Doctor Who? I mean, just that bit of levity. I mean, the Haunt Mm -hmm. character is very much like Doctor Who in some ways. I thought it was the running from place to place. (laughs) Time to time. Yeah. See, you guys get it. (laughs) So, the ending... Where did you get that the that the company was taken taken out of the picture via the ending? Did I miss that? They make reference to, I believe it's called the Earth Conservancy. Let me zip to that part of the book and see if I can find it. It's the Earth Collective. Collective. Yes. So there's no more the company. There's mm-hmm. instead the Earth Collective, when Haunt gets there, manifesting himself as part of the shared display, his friends are already deep in discussion with the Earth Collective about this, excited about all the possibilities of first contact. Completely okay. different tone. Mm-hmm. Right. And it, and it does say, like, at the, at the end also, that they are a half-tiger person, no longer a balloon, a goth, a studious science aristocrat, a body creation artist, and his family, and a mm-hmm. swarm of insects. Yeah, they get to be what they really want to be. And it was by their choice, yes. And they're and they're not referred to as colleagues anymore. They're referred to as friends. Mm-hmm. I do wonder about the timeline, though. <laughs> do you think maybe this does not happen at the same sort of time? That oh yeah, the they make reference book? in the beginning of the book, right? About like because how... it's like been three hundred. They've been in that spaceship, the in the rosebud for three hundred years, um, and a uh, and I well, you know what? Maybe technology is different. <laughs> I feel like time-wise, the book starts right where it ends, or ends right where it starts. Right, but I was just like, 300 years for a human being to live is not something that can happen right now, but you're right. The maybe technology, because they were influenced by this other alien race, maybe with body creations, artists out there can, (laughs) my, my, my brain did kind of trip over that, but I did love how it ended i I do i do i did enjoy this (laughs) oh i see what you're saying when are they are they really at the same when Uh uh-huh right yeah yeah that the the when (laughs) i do like how it ended yeah the previous one just a a different a different when a different when yeah a different maybe it's a different when maybe it's a different when when all they can when when they can all (laughs) be together (laughs) and choose to be together Maybe the sphere is quantum and has access to alternate universes. Yeah, I was thinking, not those words, but something like that, yeah. So let me ask you this. They go into the sphere, and the first thing that happens is, like, the little fairy pops up from the ground, right? And it's made of what I picture as, like, silly putty, and it's kind of moving itself and 
Bob, being half cat at that point, uh, pounces on it right away. And then it it collects their DNA, right? Each of them touch it in turn and it collects their DNA. And then they're allowed to pass to another room. And after being in that room for a while, they're allowed into another room where there's this amorphous blob that they think is the brain of the ship. And uh, is it Bob again who goes up and slaps it and then disappears? And then Haunt follows. Um, But when they go back in time, that's like the first time that the blob takes them back and kind of deliberately shows them something as opposed to just resetting their choices, which they were only kind of moderately aware of. But so does it take them all back to the dawn of humanity, each of them? one at a time i thought it took them back to their origin of their species so haunt to humanity um because bob it says they just showed me a room full of effing computers (laughs) (laughs) that's right and he's irritated about that right and he brought something back that he that he tore off of one right he brought a physical item back and they're like it was real. That's when they realized it was real. So, but but it seems to have taken Diana back to the same place that Haunt went to. Yeah. And the first thing he does, so like he thinks that you have to sing a note to gain entrance into the cave. When the cavemen notice Dracula standing there amongst them. <laughs> and uh, probably putting that fear of Dracula in our <laughs> in our subcon or what is it? The, our shared consciousness. <laughs> Dracula as an archetype. Oh wow, we're getting funky. Right. And so they start, they react like a troop of chimps, basically. Uh, get out of here. And and Hans' reaction is to draw up his cape. <laughs> <laughs> you know, to try I like and... that he goes back as the Christo- that he chooses a Christopher Lee Dracula <laughs> so I have that image <laughs> go to classics mm-hmm. I guess the Christopher Lee wizard was not available I, I, I think in the first draft he's count from Sesame Street and that didn't have a good reaction but okay never mind there can't all be winners guys <laughs> <laughs> so what do you think about the discussion of magic at this point in the story? When they go back to their pasts, or they see, like, I guess their creation, there's a point where um, Huge says they must have left in historical times, says Huge. I wonder if there was, like, a moment when everyone felt that magic vanished from the world. They all felt there was, and they all named different years for when they're sure that happened. It seems magic has always been leaving the world which again might be another feeling that's been evolved into humans, that sense of something unseen backing away. Yeah, that was a, that was a great passage. And you can kind I think of it's, feel that as a person too. Right. I think it's that desire, like, you know, wanting some, something to come and save us. And like, didn't we used to have that <laughs> sense of that's why we go back to like the aliens helped create, the pyramids and they'll come back and help us again pre-technology mm-hmm. you know where did things come from before we had technology or science to explain them 
and then suddenly science explains them right is that is that what he's talking about do you think the magic backing away mm, maybe i don't know that passage mm. stuck out for me it does it, it does it was stick a good out. passage but i think it's i would take it as more open-ended just uh, kind of back to how we were saying what we would be if our quote-unquote conscious were uploaded i mean it's like that i guess that is it science is it religion is it spirituality is it a mixture of it all there are a lot that of questions we can't answer raised. on this episode i think i'm confident we can <laughs> there are a lot of questions posed to the reader in a very in a very short amount of time maybe it's a little too dense <laughs> <laughs> well, how did we initially explain the unexplainable yeah and then as our understanding of the natural world and science deepened, some of the unexplainable became very explainable. But there's always that something that we can't fully put our finger on or fully explain. Right. There's so much. Yeah, and even right. in science, it's a lot of people talk about it now. They forget one of the basic tenets. It's falsifiable. These are theories that we like assume. Because something is not... working the way it is, but it can all, something can always come by and like swat that down. It's like, no, actually, this is right what's because it's not a, a witnessed event by modern eyes. We can't, we'll never be able to know exactly certain things. Um, so I think that's there is that idea of we'll never truly know. But... I thought it was telling because they also had that idea when they're watching the cavemen or the people are looking upwards even though they're at the top of the food chain so to speak and it spoke to the psychology of humanity as to where they think they lie in the grand scheme of things yeah there is that where we are at the top of the food chain but we're always worried something else is going to come and get us and then it also in that cave it set up the idea of how society is set up with, you know, men at the top of the hierarchy, the, the the patriarchal hierarchy. And again, likened us to a troop of chimps. Yeah. So I don't know if anybody else is aware of this. I have never seen Susan Kane, but apparently there is a sled in Susan Kane that has the name Rosebud. Uh, stamped on it and there is a Citizen Kane reference in the book. Have any of you seen Citizen Kane? I've not mm -mm. seen I just it. know exactly <laughs> what you said. That's my extent of knowledge on Citizen Kane. Yeah. yeah. I, I and of course it. Orson Welles was in it. <laughs> what was I know the about reference? it from Final Fantasy. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> I went into Wikipedia and read the plot because I was like, wow, you know, I've never seen it. <laughs> what is going on in there? And the rosebud was his that's the last word he says. The this great millionaire says before he dies, and what's the significance of it? And and it was. It turns out that it was his childhood toys, childhood yeah. sleigh that he received. I think when he became more wealthy, like it, like that when he when his life started changing for the better, and then once he dies, it's just tossed in the garbage. So I guess like losing that sense of i mean wonderment or whatever is like uh i don't want to say analogy or maybe it is to like the whole thing about what humanity was like what is causing this why does 
that big yellow thing come up, you know, at a certain time and how do we explain it? I guess that could be the magic. Hmm. Like the rose, like the rosebud is the magic of the child of childhood. It's a symbol of it. So there's an article. There's an article in the guardian that says, um, his last his last word is rosebud it's a mystery which they fail to solve but the people watching the film do not it relates to his last moment of childhood innocence and happiness playing in the snow before his bank trustee appointed guardian the dickensian mr thatcher comes to take him away and prepare him for his lonely new life as a 20th century american oligarch Oh no, not all that money. <laughs> <laughs> not an oligarch. <laughs> so it's that instant in time when childhood falls away. It's that moment where the magic stops for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he becomes yeah. super rich. <laughs> well, responsibilities maybe are thrust <laughs> upon him. <laughs> but yeah, he becomes wealthy. I, I would think if you were super rich, you could build your own snow room and play in the snow whenever you want. Yeah, you could have want. so many sleds, Rosebud 3000, and come on, come on. <laughs> As somebody who has um, who has gone without often, <laughs> the idea of money does not bring you happiness, I think is untrue, <laughs> which sure would help a lot. <laughs> yeah, I always think I could adapt <laughs> when I hear that. See, Alyssa was trying to be serious, and we all brought the quirk. <laughs> I'm no, so I'm being sorry. serious. I <laughs> I'm very confident in that. Okay, we're having too much fun with this. Oh, okay. <laughs> Stop it. Stop it now. Okay. But I do like the idea of what you're saying, Alyssa, that, you know, yeah, maybe the rosebud is the symbolism of magic and the and and magic leaving us. Hmm, I see so much to think about with this book. <laughs> so when does the magic leave in this story? Is there magic? Is there magic? Magic left for all of them before they got to the rosebud. Yeah. But then is the magic that they are sentient, non-corporeal beings? What is going on? I don't have answers. <laughs> I just have questions, honestly. Really, this does leave with a lot of questions. <laughs> and that's why I didn't send you discussion questions ahead of time. Because the whole book's <laughs> questions <laughs> so, should be just a big old question mark. No. <laughs> Definitely thought provoking, isn't it? I absolutely agree. Yeah, I enjoyed it. It was a nice little little bit of writing, and yeah, I enjoyed the jaunty jaunty tone too. I think that's why haunts a good a good uh, viewpoint to go with because the others have really miserable stories and his story is not so much that mm-hmm. it's the least miserable of all it's five the least. <laughs> it's still miserable because he was granted sentience against his wit nobody ever asked he says nobody ever asked if i wanted this that's true he just gave it to me and, and then, then he was... they set me into space and sent me to work when the company came and said all sentient ai is going to be set free or repurposed to work doesn't sound that great but i do love the idea of my video game characters coming to life and that's awesome (laughs) so you asked if our only hope was to be reset by aliens or 
our other option was to be taken over by AI, or we learned how to manipulate time. <laughs> or we manipulate easy. some aliens into manipulating time for us. I think easy, we should at least easy. split the responsibilities as a caster. All right. Well, I'll get on the AI portion of it if JD will fix time. Oh, I'm on it. <laughs> Alyssa and Mary, you can reach out to the aliens. Sure. Sounds good. We'll start sending. <laughs> oh, wait. Oh, do we want to reach out to the aliens? Oh, dear. It's <laughs> a whole other question. <laughs> Mary's reaching out to the aliens as a declaration of intergalactic war. Like, to, if you're nice, maybe we'd like to talk to you. <laughs> Lose my number otherwise. <laughs> if you're cool enough. Who would you recommend this book to? No one. No, I'm just kidding. Oh. <laughs> People who Art. like to contemplate their books. <laughs> Somebody who, who wants a quick story, but wants a wants something that's gonna really I don't yeah, this is a hard I, I don't think it's difficult to recommend it to people, but trying to find the right idea of what they're looking for hmm i don't know <laughs> people who want to see i'm deaf yeah if you like douglas adams i could see you liking this as well and um it does very well fit the definition of speculative fiction because it gives you plenty of room for speculation i think it's a great story to recommend to people who want to read it together and have a discussion yeah <laughs> it definitely provokes familiar. discussion yeah book definitely groups, a book book group <laughs> classes people who like i said want to read together have a thought-provoking discussion mm -hmm. yeah like a what is that like a college course where what is that called a survey <laughs> there you go college survey for sure there you go mm-hmm I think that does it. So this is the point where we want to say thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode or other episodes we've done, please remember to subscribe or give us a good rating. You can view our book list, reviews, and suggested reads at https forward slash forward slash guides dot m-y-s-a-p-l dot o-r-g forward slash e-t-e. That's guides dot mysapple.org forward slash ete you can write us with stories suggestions random thoughts or interesting sci-fi and geek culture info at sapl sapl escape the earth at gmail.com that's sapl escape the earth at gmail.com join us next month for our discussion of snow crash by neil stevenson should be good thanks everybody bye y'all escape the earth Let's go.